Cognet Rocks episode 856 with guests Brian Summers and Dave Harrison. Recorded live Friday, March 8th, 2013. This episode is brought to you by Telerik, offering the best in developer tools and support. And by Franklins.net, makers of GesturePack, a powerful gesture recording and recognition system for Microsoft Connect for Windows developers. Details at GesturePAK.com. And by Diatom, developers of the .NET Rocks mobile app, available now for Windows Phone 7, iPhone, and Android phones. And now, here are Carl and Richard. Thank you very much, and welcome back to .NET Rocks. Carl and Richard, I'm uh, in the Northeast again, where we're getting pummeled with more snow. Oh, no. Back to the snow. Yeah, about eight inches today. Wow. Overnight. Well, we were supposed to get it the night before, but, uh, oh, it's great. You know, when you expect snow and your kids uh, are like, there's going to be no school tomorrow. We're going to stay up, right? Right, And then it doesn't snow, and then there's school, so they're tired, and then the next day, you get a snow day. (laughs) Great. (laughs) It's awesome. Hey, man, how are you? Oh, well, here on on the the Northwest, it's gone sunny for a few days, which means all of the cedars pollinate all at once, so I feel like a meth addict. I want to peel my skin off. I'm (laughs) dying here. Oh, that's horrible. Me and Claritin are buddies. (laughs) Hey, before we get started, um, I found this, uh, well, there was a comment left on the website where a guy made a blog post, pictures from a developer's life, and you can get this at tinyurl.com slash funnydevstuff. And uh, basically, he's got some animated GIFs that um, that express the feelings, you know, when he shows the boss that he finally fixed a bug, when the project manager enters the office, and a lot of them are clips from movies and TV shows, and they're just right. absolutely hysterical. hysterical. I'll add the link. That's brilliant. Yeah. Funny stuff. That was from uh, Martin Velasek. Yeah. All right. Let's get started with Better No Framework. What do you got? Well, today uh, I'm sharing some code that I wrote. So we all know the old Surface now Pixel Sense, which is the table where you can, you know, have pictures and stuff, and everybody gets to spin them around and all that stuff. Well, I went to Staples the other day and I bought a a Dell Windows 8 all-in-one machine. It's about 23 inches, and it has 10 points of touch. Nice. Yeah. So it's pretty much got all those same features. And I'm writing an app that uses pictures of musical instruments that I can raise and lower the volume by doing the pinch zoom gesture. Awesome. So I needed to find a way to do that. And I finally found some documentation um, and then modeled it to, instead of working outside the image and handling events, I put all the code inside an image that, well, it's something that I inherited from image. So I created a touch image class. Okay. And you can just create this touch image class, put your picture in there and spill that onto a canvas, and you get built in automatically the ability to, you know, pinch zoom and move around and rotate and all that stuff. Cool. So that's at tinyurl.com slash touch image. And, you know, it sounds like old hat, WPF touch image stuff, but you would be surprised at how much searching I had to do to find the right code. Um, it's just out there in a very small corner of the internet. So there you go. It's a specialty. It's a specialty. So there you go. Know it, learn it, love it. Richard, who's talking to us? 
Grabbed another a- comment off of show 851 with Thomas Petrachek, and that's where we're talking about F-sharp, and people are excited about F-sharp. Yeah. And this particular comment comes from Ryan Riley, a.k.a. Panes of Glass, who says, Terrific show. Thanks for having Thomas on the show. In minute 29, Richard said he thought that F-sharp has hit its stride and is sort of distinctive as to what it can do now. I respectfully disagree. Type providers are icing on the cake but they really just offer yet another measure of type safety and bug reduction. Units of measure, immutability first, and features such as active patterns and computational expressions, as well as a much more expressive and adaptable version of Link, provide other means of writing solid, bug-free, and verifiable code. The biggest problem F-Sharp faces is marketing. Microsoft and many others outside of the F-Sharp community continue to want to pigeonhole F-Sharp as a language of a very small niche. In reality, F-Sharp is a superb general-purpose language and could easily be marketed as the next step for those moving to distributed, concurrent, or asynchronous environments who want strong verifiability in their programs, regardless of whether they are coming from C-Sharp or Ruby, Python, JavaScript, and so on. Yeah. So there. I'm still wrestling with F-Sharp as a general-purpose language. I, you know, I, I thought about that too. And I think the reason that we think that is precisely the reasons that, um, you know, that, that, these, that he says in this email is that that's just the general idea. But, you know, when you get into F sharp and especially with people who use it all the time, you know, it's just a, it's just another flavor of C sharp with great, uh, functional features. But that basic stuff is still there. Yeah. I mean, the other argument I was thinking here was, are we thinking in terms of, functional programming as general purpose programming well yeah that, of that's a different story yeah yeah it's yeah. an interesting point of view and and ryan i appreciate that you're you're in deep enough to feel this way it's good to see someone there it makes me think harder so i, I appreciate your mindset and i'm going to think about it some more and a .NET Rocks mug is on its way to you. And if you'd like a .NET Rocks mug, you can write a comment on the website at .NETrocks.com or a comment on any of the phone apps that we now have for .NET Rocks, yep. iPhone, Android, and WinPhone. Mm-hmm. And before we go any further, I need to tell you that Pluralsight provides comprehensive developer training online. They have hundreds of courses authored by MVPs and industry experts. They release 12 to 15 new courses a month and offer a free 10-day trial, giving you 200 minutes of access. Pluralsight offers a wide range of courses, including iOS, Java, Android, web development, anything and everything Microsoft, including extensive coverage of TFS 2012. Try Pluralsight today. Subscriptions start just $29 a month. And with that, let me introduce our esteemed guests, Brian Summers and Dave Harrison. Brian is the Director of Technical Services at Columbia Sportswear. He is responsible for multiple development teams using .NET, Java, ABAP, RPG, BizTalk, Informatica, SQL, and other technologies. He has been managing development teams and projects for over 20 years. Away from work, Brian enjoys spending time with his family, golf, and racing his spec Miata with the Sports Car Club of America. Ooh. Dave Harrison manages the .NET development team at Columbia Sportswear. He's been working on the .NET stack since 2002, pretty much since it's been around, and loves ADO.NET entity data models, MVC4, and catching steelhead and fat trout on Oregon's fabled Deschutes River. He has two four-year-old girls and is thinking of writing a book on services-oriented parenthood. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> Let's do a show on service-oriented parenthood. Oh, I love, I love it. I, I'm, I'm the wallet service. That's what I am. <laughs> <laughs> My wife is the emotional support service. <laughs> oh, yes. One of you's got to be a transport I'm service. I'm also the transport 
<laughs> mechanism, yeah. Yeah, I can also make a joke about the girls being... I'm hoping one day they get a little less asynchronous in their service. <laughs> uh, oh, yeah, my they, God. Yeah, they do blue screen every so often, don't they? <laughs> Just wait till they're in their teens and there's a whole 28-day defragment cycle. Oh, my God. We can stop now. <laughs> How are you guys? Welcome to the show. But let's not even talk about the memory leaks, either. Oh, yeah. Lots of memory leaks. I thought that... Yeah. Thought you said. Oh, that's great. I don't think. I think we should stop right here. I'm going to seriously embarrass my daughters because I have lots of stories. So, tell us about Columbia Sportswear first of all for those who are, have been living under a rock. So, uh, you know, Columbia Sportswear we're an outdoor uh, apparel manufacturer retailer. Um, our brands are Columbia, Montreal, Mountain Hardware, and Sorel. Um, you know, if you if you ski, if you hike, if you mountain climb. If you do anything outdoors, you've uh, you've probably seen Columbia or worn Columbia gear, mm-hmm. uh, and that, that's what we do. So, what kind of development goes on at Columbia? So, you know, we do a little bit of everything. Um, you know, a lot of my team's work is around interface development. Um, <clears throat> you know, we we have some homegrown apps, a lot of off the shelf stuff, ERP. Um, you know, trying to make them talk to each other, data warehouse, data movement services, you name it, um, we've probably got it somewhere. Because in the end, you're a manufacturing company. I mean, you make clothing. Absolutely. We're, we're uh, you know, I, I like to remind people, you know, even though I have a large development team, we're not a software company. We don't want to be a software company. You know, we, we prefer to buy off the shelf when we can and, and do integration work. But, you know, there's times when you just need something that nobody else has done before. So what portion of development is internal uh, versus web development? Oh, gosh. Um, it's probably mostly internal. Um, you know, we have our we have our Columbia websites that's actually um, the platform, the development, everything is uh, hosted within our marketing team. So mm-hmm. we just we handle the fulfillment aspects of it on my team, you know, shopping cart on. Um, and then our B2B uh, site, which is, you know, more more web development. So, you know, we're probably 80 percent internal, I would say. Yeah. OK. And uh, what's the what's the third party tool landscape like? Do you do you guys prefer to just like you said buy off the shelf software, but do you also buy uh, third party tools when it makes sense? Uh, absolutely, absolutely. You know, um, we're we're a big Microsoft shop as far as development tools. Um, even for the non uh, Microsoft technologies, we've we've managed to kind of embrace some of the Microsoft technology. Just but a lot of it because of the relationship we've developed with Microsoft, the input we have. And uh, just you know, they they they've been a great partner to us. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I, I the, the word partner is thrown around a lot, but you know, a partnership where both companies get something out of it, and and that's kind of why we've gone down that path. So there's also Java developers there. What do the Java guys do? Well, um, they for instance, we have a planning um, application called PDM. It's quite holistic. It's it's the hub of the wheel, so to speak, for all of our our planning efforts. Um, that's maintained in Java. And we also have a sales portal coming up that is extremely performant. will allow us to place orders directly against SAP, for example. Mm. Um, either internal sales reps or, for example, dealers can use the same interface. Very fast. Uh, it's extremely very performant. Uh, we're, we're very pleased with that. And the interface, the, the sales guys love it. Yeah. And also ABAP, I, is that for the SAP integration? Yeah, that's the that's the language that most of the SAP platforms written on, and all of our uh, 
um, customizations to SAP, a lot of our interface work, reporting, et cetera, is on the, uh, on the Avop platform. So there's a lot of technology going on here. And uh, how do you manage to keep all these projects together? Exactly. So, you know, trying to know what's going on across all my teams is definitely a challenge. Yeah. So what we've tried to do is come up with, you know, one place to manage the work, uh, one view for myself, the project managers, uh, the BAs, the business, really whoever kind of needs to see what's going on. And we've done that with uh, Team Foundation Server 2012 through, you know, backlog management um, and just being able to see that that unified backlog for me, despite the teams, you know, having their own sites, their own their own view of the work, being able to manage it themselves, you know, that roll up has, has been very important. So you were able to connect all these disparate uh, development systems to TFS. That's the big story. Absolutely, yeah. Um, you know, in some cases, some of the teams are just using it for backlog management. Uh, in the case of Java, uh, we're we're doing some pretty cool stuff. We we use the Eclipse plugin for TFS, and the Java team not only manages their backlog, they're also you know managing their source. They're tying their source code to backlog items. Um, and, you know, the, the Java guys and the .NET guys are, I hesitate to use the word living in harmony, but they kind of are. <laughs> Do they have lunch together? That's the question. Yeah, exactly. Because, you know, it, these days, we're more the same than we are different. I think Java and .NET are much more closely related than, say, Ruby or Python. Yeah, or, or ABBA. Or, yeah, I guess ABBA is its own thing. Yeah, exactly. There's actually a couple guys on my team that came from that universe of Java. It's pretty easy to slip back and forth between C Sharp and Java nowadays. Yeah. They, just the mindset of managed development environments with frameworks, it's the same basic set of thinking. You know, the, the hard part for us as, as developers was we tend to think very tactically. We just think two weeks of work at a time. Right. Mm. What, we, what we found with TFS, like I started doing training and it was like I was speaking French. The BS <laughs> looked at me and they said, oh, that's great. I can see all these sticky notes moving around the board. Mm. What does that mean to me? I'm a project manager. I want to know at a 50,000 foot level, when are you going to be done? Right. You know, they wanted to know what can we give them in terms of drillable pie charts. So my team, we, we developed some, uh, some dashboards where project managers and BAs could answer the big questions. And we can still track our work tactically, you know, two weeks at a time. Because it strikes me that the developer's interface to TFS is basically applying that tactical data day in, day out. The tricky part is getting from those individual nuggets to the overall roll-up of, we'll be done on this day. Exactly. Is that really even possible? That seems like voodoo to me. Well, you know, uh, the, the great thing, of course, is that you can roll up TFS stories into a larger epic fairly easily, and it makes coherent sense. Um, it, it, you can easily tell, okay, this team has this size of a backlog, and you can see in, in the view how many more sprints you have left to go. So you can, you can place yourself in time pretty easily, and a project manager can say, okay, looking at this big picture, we're red or we're green. Right. Well, and I guess the other part here is getting to the granularity of the work items that you really have a sense of how long each work item is going to take or how many are going to be delivered per sprint. Yeah, it's going to make us better in the long term because, you know, we're, we we came out of an environment where, you know, you estimate, you do the work, you deliver it, you go on to the next thing, and you never really knew how you were doing. And, you know, now we have a little better visibility into you know, what was that original estimate in the sprint? Um, how did we do? You know, how can we get better? So 
It's making us better. It's making us faster. Um, our projects are running better. Our developers are being interrupted less throughout the day, which is important. Mm. You know, what, one of the big things, too, was, you know, we have a lot of projects going on and a lot of different project managers and a lot of different BAs. And at one point, you know, everybody has their own project plan. Everybody has a different mode of reporting status. And my development managers are spending all of their time providing status updates, some cases daily, some cases weekly, in five, six, seven, eight different places, sometimes the same information. Um, so what we've been able to do with our, with our project office is, you know, we have a centralized status report for a lot of the programs we're working on that we update once a week. However, in big projects that are moving fast, they need information daily. We've been able to direct them to TFS where, you know, they can find out the status of an individual item. You know, is it on track? What state is it in? Who the developer is working on it? And, you know, they don't have to pick up the phone or walk over and actually bother the developer, which, you know, sounds like you guys write code as well, so you understand you're in the train of thought of writing code. Someone interrupts you, and, you know, at times it can take you two or three hours to get back in the right Oh, for sure, yeah. yeah. I've measured my productivity in interruptions per hour for many years. (laughs) And the correct interruption per hour rate for software development is (laughs) (laughs) 0.25. That's crazy. If you interrupt me in a four inside of a four hour window, you derail the four hour window. Exactly. Exactly. So, you know, we've been able to say, leave the developers alone, Mm -hmm. go here if you need a daily update. And, you know, what we do is we just commit to updating TFS daily, which for us is no big deal because that's where we work all day. Right. And so just the fact that you have the work items coming in through TFS and you have the check-ins coming out of TFS is enough reporting from the developers to be able to compose everything else? Uh, yeah, on a daily basis, sure. You know, we, we do a little more in-depth reporting on a weekly basis that okay. the dev managers take care of. But just for that quick, you know, checkpoint or snapshot of where we are on a given day in the middle of a two-week sprint, um, there's plenty of data there. Just to know that what work items have been worked on and the fact that they're being checked in. Exactly. Did you say you're doing daily builds? Uh, yes, we are. We, we practice continuous integration on some of our projects, not all of them. That's that's great. So on the Java side, um, it depends on what we're doing. Not typically. Um, our Java build process is a little more. Um, it's rather heavy. I guess is the right word for it. Um, our builds take hours, sometimes days, just because of the size of the application. It's all packaged and automated, but it, it just mm. takes a lot of time. Uh, okay. What are the Java developers developing with? E- Eclipse. Eclipse. I thought you said yeah. So how well is the Eclipse plugin working? with uh, TFS? Our Java team absolutely loves it. Um, they really enjoy the, how tightly integrated Visual Studio is, for example, with Eclipse. And it can really handle a lot of the very complex branching scenarios that they use in their deployments. Hmm. Sometimes months between QA and production de- deployments, and they have to work on different tracks. And it, it, uh, it handles all that with ease. What are your approaches to QA here? Do you is it basically a separate team? Do you run a separate set of gear? What, what, talk through your process. So we're we're kind of evolving. Um, we're in the middle of an SAP implementation, which has caused us to really come up with a little more formal QA process. Sure. Uh, in the past, the the QA process has been rather light. You know, we have we have business analysts and business users that you know give us requirements, and then they've typically been the ones that have done the testing. Um, as we've moved into more of the SAP world, we've built out a still relatively small actual QA team. Um, we use HPQC to 
manage our testing, manage the defects through testing. Um, one of the things I'm, I'm exploring right now, um, in the prior version of TFS, there was an HPQC plugin uh, that allowed the two systems to, you know, basically talk back and forth so that when the defect was opened in HPQC, it created a backlog item in <coughs> TFS. Um, HP has kind of moved away from that um, because they see Microsoft as a competitor now in that space, which kind of makes me chuckle. But um, so we're, we're exploring trying to find a way to hook uh, 2012 up with our version of uh, HPQC. Again, just really to keep the developers working in one place. You know, I don't, I don't need them to work in HPQC. I need them to work in TFS. Right. So, and I can talk a little bit as well about how we used, um, for instance, uh, Visual Studio's automated stress testing and unit testing, because we, we don't like to just turf things over to QA. I want to have my developers not just make sure that their methods work, but that they're also hitting that website on dev or QA, and we can simulate, you know, thousands of users simultaneously and know how it'll handle under stress the entire website. It's, it's extremely easy. Are you getting to a point of automation around this stuff, or is it just a... a, a a step that starts up uh, once somebody's pushed a build. It's it's a step that starts up when you push a build. It's considered a part of every build that we do. That's good. Yeah, if you see more and more folks tightening up the automation around this to be able to that if you're building anything, then you're going through a certain set of tests. Absolutely. So we're going beyond just you know each individual piece working, but the whole doesn't do well to saying, look, guys, the users care about performance of the site. So if it goes from being a three-second load time to a 10-second load time, I want to know why. Right. At least catch it right then while it's still in everyone's mind. Absolutely. So you're now incorporating some load tests as part of your, your post-build testing. Yes. Yeah, that, that's been, uh, for instance, with, with the data services we did for our sales portal, we were able to, to build those out in just a couple weeks. But instead of just turfing it out there and seeing how it works, we actually simulated uh, testing it, you know, with a couple thousand different users simultaneously, like a stair step means, and uh, we could see, okay, the response time degraded by a little bit, but it was still under 0.3 seconds. And do you find that the load tests you're running match well with the performance experience in the world, or is it better just to compare it itself to itself? Um, I would say it matches what we see in the actual front end itself pretty well. Um, it's not, it's not entirely apples to apples, but it's pretty close. Right. And are you guys sharing data between the, the Java systems and the .NET systems? In other words, are, are they both hitting services that are serving the same data? At present, uh, the Java services and the services that, that the Microsoft team is working on, uh, we don't really share that data. Um, but we do have a lot of integration services that do bridge that world. So in building those integration services, were there any particular challenges that were, um, you know, quirks of either platform that you had to get around? No, because a service is a service is a service. That was yeah. the thing about it. I mean, it saved us a ton of time. I'll give you an example. Um, like we, we service a lot of our data from a data warehouse. Well, that data isn't always fresh. Sometimes it's stale. Sometimes the tables don't match up. So I could switch the, the endpoint in line in the, in the web config where it's pointing directly from our source database in, in the Java world. And it was completely seamless. The users never noticed, and testing could go on without disruption. Ah, uh, very cool. Yeah, very nice. As we're, as we're talking, guys, about um, 
you know, Java and .NET. You know, one, one of the things that drove us to kind of this common tool set was demand for developer time. And, you know, our projects are, you know, the demand on the different teams varies from time to time based on, you know, what's hot for the business at the moment. And what I found is, you know, I've got, I've got a team of Java guys. I've got a team of .NET guys. Well, sometimes I need a lot more Java than I need .NET. Sometimes I need a lot more .NET than I need Java. Rather than having the teams overstaffed or, you know, have to constantly go out and find contractors all the time, by unifying our, our basic tool set between Java and .NET, as you said, it's, it's pretty easy to kind of go back and forth. Um, and I've got a, a remarkable team of, of individuals, and we do that. So, you know, if, if Dave's team, for example, on the .NET side has a big project coming up and my Java team, you know, has a little downtime or has the bandwidth, we can move team members over and they can work on a .NET project. And what we don't have is the ramp-up time for, oh, my gosh, how do I use your development tool? How do I use, you know, how do I incorporate into your, into your backlog, into your sprint planning? Because they're all doing the same thing. And, you know, from a management standpoint, that, that's huge. So their development environment more or less feels similar, the, the place that they're working in, but they are switching languages. Yeah, yeah. You know, they're, they're definitely switching languages. Um, but I've got, again, people that know both languages. So, you know, you, you get that mindset shift from language, but everything else is the same, which, which is pretty nice. Because I also got to think that, that crossing the teams like that just makes them work better. Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm. Because we're working on the same IDE, we're, we're all working on a Visual Studio, we have less Java versus Microsoft discussions. I don't right. much anymore. It becomes more about the data. So I've worked a lot more, for example, with Charles Arcudi and a few others, um, and I've just gotten a ton of respect for them because without knowing what the underlying data is, um, it's all meaningless. So, for instance, we use NAD Framework. We drag on, you know, um, ADO.NET uh, data services and WCF REST services, but that's what the discussion becomes about is the underlying data model, not how it's serviced. That's not really important to the project. It's really yeah. funny how that's become transparent now. Yeah, it's all about modeling. Mm. Well, I love it because it gets right to the heart of things. Sure. Product data, what it means. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Richard, you know what time it is. Oh, it must be that happy time again. That's right. It's time to give away a Telerik DevCraft complete collection to a lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club. But first, are you looking for ways to make your development process with TFS more agile? Try Telerik's agile project management solution, Team Pulse. Team Pulse comes with a rich set of features for data intelligence, capturing of stakeholder feedback, as well as complete tracking of work items. Team Pulse can be easily added on top of any TFS environment, including TFS versions 08, 10, and 12. The tool even comes with a TFS wizard that will allow non-technical users to set the whole thing up in seconds. If you want to improve the way you work, try Telerik Team Pulse now at bit.ly slash Team Pulse for TFS, or just go to Telerik.com and click on Team Pulse. And the winner today, Richard. Yes? Lionel Yeomans from San Jose, California. Congratulations, Lionel. Golf clap for you. And if you don't know what we're talking about, go to .netrocks.com, click on the big Get Free Stuff button, and answer a few questions, become a member of the fan club. We have thousands of members. You could win a DevCraft Complete Collection any day on that we do the show. And every December, we give away $5,000 worth of technology. Just gave away a great big machine last year to uh, Rob Corbett. And... We'd like to ask our guests, if you had $5,000 today to spend on toys or technology in general, what would you buy? 
Brian? Oh, geez. Um, pro- probably something for my race car, to be honest with you, technology-wise. <laughs> Um, <laughs> that, that's a that's a big passion of mine. Um, a subwoofer? No, 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 no. <laughs> um, probably probably around analytics data. Yeah. A lot of the a lot of the tablets that are out now, you know, they've all got GPS built into them. So something around uh, you know a Surface or an iPad with um, you know some sensors to to grab race data. So like, yeah, maybe something that goes beyond the check engine light. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. All right, Dave, your turn. What would you get with five grand? And I can't spin it on myself. Oh, yeah, you can spin it on yeah, yourself. Sure you but can. it's got to we just got to be toys. Oh, well, you know, fishing rods, me, come on. <laughs> oh, yeah, right. You guys are from Oregon. It's all about the fish. <laughs> I was going to be all, I would spend it on my team and I'll buy them training. Uh. Oh, I'm going to spin it on me, you know, <laughs> the fly fishing gear. Oh, and you can easily blow five grand on fly fishing gear. That's not even trying. Yeah, I know. Yeah, his, I know. his wife would make him uh, buy some kind of GPS chip, though, so that she could figure out where he is. <laughs> <laughs> there was uh, there was an incident a couple of weeks ago where uh, there was a work holiday, and I may have forgotten to inform my wife and went off fishing, and I have not heard the end of it from my wife since then. <laughs> she found out, <laughs> and they always find out. Yes. Wow. So you mentioned uh, Entity Framework before. Do your Java guys get involved in building models? Uh, they're probably not yet. Yeah, is this something that you could see them doing? The Anovia data model that they build PDM on is is, is a little older in its framework, I think. But mm-hmm. but definitely in the future, I see them using data models. It is the way to go. It abstracts out all that plumbing we used to work on. Right now, do you occasionally run into performance problems? Like what it, what happens when it doesn't work well? Well, the, the 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 problem is when those underlying views and entities change. Sometimes they have to blow away the entire model and start over. Right. Um, it's still a work in progress, but honestly, from a performance standpoint, we're thrilled. Um, I I can't speak highly enough of I mean, my, my WCF code for this sales portal is about sixteen lines of code. Wow. It's almost embarrassing how little it is. Wow. So it's, and I mean, I added on JSON, it was no big deal. It, they're all pluggable. It's, it was great. And so clearly speeding up development and, and without huge consequence yet. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that, that's always the fear with these technologies is that we're going to get 80% down the path with it and then hit some roadblock trying to get that last 20% done. Absolutely. You know, Brian and I come, we, we have kind of the same philosophy. We'd rather be wrong sooner. Right. You know, so we, we, we start with like pilots and prototypes we make sure it's going to work first as a proof of concept because we'd rather know two weeks in if, if some a particular technology stack is not going to work than six months down the road. Just to grab onto that a little bit, you know, that's been especially important on some of these bigger projects. Making those corrections earlier has saved us so much time and money, you know, down the road. And uh, the tools, the tools have helped a lot in that. You know, we're working in two-week sprint. We're showing things to our BAs, to our business users sooner, um, you know, even if it's just a piece of it, even if it's just, hey, we've written this service and this is what it's going to output to be consumed by these four applications. And, you know, making sure we're on the right track, you know, two weeks in versus 12 months in, you know, over the course of a big project, that can, that can save you millions of dollars. So just iterating faster. Exactly. And, and he's ever been. I mean, clearly, I can see the .NET guys and the Java guys are iterating pretty quickly. Can you get ABBA going that quick too? 
Yeah, and, and they are, in fact. So um, all of my teams are aligned in their, their sprint cycles. They're all working on two-week sprints. Um, they're all breaking their workout um, so that we can see achievable results over those two-week sprints. Um, the, the methodology is pretty much identical from a process standpoint across teams. Um, and I actually just heard I was, uh, I was at a conference late last year, and there's an Eclipse plugin now coming for ABOP as well. So wow. I'm looking forward to trying to experiment with that a little, you know, without being too disruptive to that team. Um, but getting those guys in Eclipse and potentially working in TFS as well. I mean, that's, that's, that's the kind of stuff that gets me excited at work is, you know, streamlining those, those processes and the tools across those teams. Brian, what are you guys doing with BizTalk? So BizTalk is our primary messaging service uh, for integration. So if it's if it's messaging that you know where we need to move messages between applications, it's it's all about BizTalk. If it's data itself and we need to move large chunks of data, we use Informatica. Um, but we've been running BizTalk now for I guess going on about five years. Uh, we started it when we first went out to do e-commerce, and BizTalk was selected as the tool. About a year ago, we did a major upgrade and, and reworked most of our, our BizTalk platform to the, to the 2010 version, and it's, it's been fantastic. So do you, I always think of BizTalk as the sort of EDI-type communications, working with uh, external partners that you need to tra- pass data in particular formats. Are, are you using it that way, or do you use it more internally? Uh, more internally, um, we have a separate uh, – we use a service in the cloud for uh, EDI uh, with a separate company. BizTalk is really, for us, we don't do much, if anything, externally with it. It's all about that application-to-application integration, also within applications. So our e-commerce platform, for example, heavily, heavily reliant on BizTalk. Um, You know, where it does go external, you know, we use it for things in in the e-commerce world, in our checkout, like credit authorization, uh, fraud checks, um, inventory checks, et cetera. So would you call it a service bus? We actually implemented the enterprise service bus as part of our 2010 implementation. You know, ah. ESP is so wonderful because you can easily build dynamic send ports and off-ramps. And, I mean, it's, you can extend it so much. We're probably only using a fraction of its true power here. But I will say, you know, as far as, like, with our basic order processing and how we've, we've built it out here, our integration team is really top-notch and very, very pleased with it. I, I- I guess the question is, are we at a place now where you trust the bus enough that you have an app that's picking up services that could have been written on any of the platforms, like you don't know and don't care? Everybody checks into the bus? Absolutely, because we built out some custom screens so that uh, our e-commerce people can easily check the progress and resubmit failed orders, for example. Sure. Hmm. How about dashboarding with ESB? Yeah. I just love the idea of this architecture that allows, hey, you, you, is that service built in Java? Whatever. Doesn't matter. Is that service actually a bridge through SAP? Whatever. You know, or are they .NET components? They work the same. Nobody cares. Absolutely, because we have a couple systems here. I mean, we inherited them where it's a point-to-point nightmare, a cat's cradle. Sure. But through all that, you have one portal you have to worry about. Yeah, just don't think about it any other way. And do you find as you're – are you just leaving the old versions of these components up and build new ones? Um. Yeah, I mean, we're trying to shut the older versions down as we build the new ones. Um, you know, when we don't have to touch the old stuff, we don't. In a lot of cases, we've got some pretty bad stuff, and <laughs> I'd, rather, I'd rather rebuild from scratch in some cases than try to figure out what's what the old stuff's all about. Yeah. <laughs> I just found with customers, we've got 
old stuff running on this bus that nobody's got confidence to just turn off. Like, they, are we really sure that's not being used anymore? Yeah, and we've got some of that going on with our um, due to our SAP project. You know, once we're once we're live everywhere with SAP, you know, we're gonna we're gonna pull some plugs, and I suspect there's gonna be some pain. Um, yeah. Every uh, once in a while, though, don't you want to just clean out the fridge? Yes. yes. You've got to suppress that urge. I'd like to clean it out right now if I could. But Yeah, I don't <laughs> want to suppress the urge. It's just, you know, the, my problem here is I have done that. Let's shut this off and see who screams. Right. right. <laughs> the problem is that after they scream, sometimes the sucker doesn't turn back on. <laughs> exactly. It, there, there's definitely that. And, you know, sometimes it's the CEO that screams because you're feeding data to some report he gets that nobody knows about because he's right. been looking at it for 15 years. Yeah. <laughs> That's a, yeah. That's actually a direct, a handcrafted VBA call to access. Right. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm sure we have some of that in our environment. We don't even know about. So, Carl. Yeah, Richard. You ever embed Excel into an application? Ugh. You know that's right up there with sticking ice picks in my ears. Nice. Because your end users have to have the right version of Office and all that stuff. Yeah. And it has that extra layer of dependency. What I want is just a way to take all that Excel goodness and plop it right into my .NET application. Well, you reminded me of Farpoint Spread from the old days. Yeah, 20 years ago I used Farpoint Spread. But now, of course, it's Component1Spread.net. And now, you know, they have this version that's both for ASP.net and for Windows Forms in one package. Nice. Yeah, it's two different controls, obviously, but it's in one package, so... You bought one, you bought the other. Right. Spread.net from Component 1. Smarter components for smarter developers. Software gets built, sometimes not through solid processes, you know, that they, they get built. Yep, yep. But, you know, about with, with all the technologies we use, about the only team that isn't really leveraging um, TFS is... Uh, is my uh, RPG team. They're, you know, they're doing some iSeries development. We're, we still got them doing um, NTFS managing their work, so the backlog. Mm. But, you know, they're not near as uh, hands-on with the tool as, as everybody else is. But everybody else has embraced it, um, haven't gotten a lot of resistance to it. When you do get a little resistance, once you get them into it and they start to see what I can do for them and how I can actually help and how I can get people off of their back, they, they buy in pretty quick. So everybody's work items, no matter what they're working from, goes through TFS. That's correct. At least on my team. Um, We do have a couple other pockets within Columbia. Um, We have have another application that does a lot of our supply planning, and there's um, the manager of that application has a few developers on his team um, that are dedicated to that. Um, We've also introduced them to TFS, and they're using it as well. And if I want to, I can have visibility. That that can be included in the roll-up of my of my work, thanks to a nice little dashboard that Dave's built me. Nice. So MVC4 is in your list of technologies. I, I suppose that's for your outwardly-facing websites? Uh, no, it's also for our internal applications as well. We had a, a um, surprisingly important website called Friends and Family that we use uh, for our employees' uh, discount program. And that one we upgraded to MVC4. You know, whenever we take over an old website, we always do the, do we leave it as is or do we upgrade it? And we found moving to MVC4 is many times a no-brainer. It's so much cleaner. Mm. Yeah. And so it, internally, did you, you utilize the scaffolding to, to build out those EF models or did you have your models already? 
No, we, we utilize scaffolding quite a bit. Um, that's how we do our pilots. We demo it to the customers. They say, that looks great, but it's terrible, and then we'd refine it. But that's the scaffolding is always how we start out. Mm. It's awesome, isn't it? It is really terrific. Yeah, just a fast, fast way to go. The important so, thing is that the customer sees what you've done as soon as possible, and then they'll they'll help correct your course to where they want to be because we've all done the six months of development, and then they're like, what is this? This isn't what I asked for. Ugh. So what continues to be your biggest challenge? Um, you know, for me, you know, running, running the entire team, um, the biggest challenge for me is trying to continue to keep my developers challenged by introducing new technology to them. Um, you know, they want to – there's so much new stuff out there. It comes out so fast. And when you're in an enterprise environment like ours, it's very difficult to constantly introduce new technology, new tools, stay on the cutting edge. I mean, again, you know, we're an apparel company. Um, we make coats. We make fleece. We make shoes, you know, et cetera. We don't make software. So, you know, we're never going to be on that bleeding edge, if you right. will, sometimes because of risk, sometimes because of cost, um, sometimes because we just can't move that fast. So keeping but, your developers happy is a real challenge for you. Absolutely. Because you're not interested in them going anywhere else. That's exactly right. I mean, I've, I've been very fortunate over the last three years of being here. We've built a very good team. Um, we've done a lot of hiring. We've, knock on wood, managed to keep most of our developers. I've had very little turnover. Um, and it's because of things like introducing them to TFS 2012. Um, you know, one of the things we're looking at uh, is, is a company right now, too, on our infrastructure side, they've got a lot of cool tools um, that we're looking at, you know, how can we play in that space as well with things like uh, self-provisioning. Um, I, we, Dave, Dave and myself, you know, all my development managers, we have an amazing relationship with our infrastructure group because we understand what they can do. They understand what our needs are, and um, we're doing a lot of virtualization. Um, our infrastructure is 96% virtual, wow. um, which is absolutely unheard of. And that's, that's a real number. That's not padding the stats. Um, we are truly 96% virtualized. And, um, you know, now we're looking at things like uh, the vCloud director suite. They've got some great tools like application director, data director, performance manager that the development teams can, can really take advantage of to do things like provisioning, to do things like uh, performance monitoring. Um, so kind of back to your question, you know, I've got to continually introduce those tools, introduce those technologies, give my guys exposure to that kind of stuff, or, you know, they're going to go somewhere that, that can't. You know, part of the story that Microsoft was telling when 2012 came up was this idea of continuous delivery, really getting, I mean, that, that even two week sprints are too slow that you you should be able to roll out that software all the time. Is this a direction you buy into or head in the direction of? So yes, within reason. Um, you know, you, again, you've got to kind of look at our environment, you know, being that we're an apparel company, mm -hmm. um, there's some areas. So, you know, around our ERP, for example, we're not going to do continuous delivery on the ERP system. Right. And for things like this new sales portal we're, we're, um, we're developing, you know, this, again, this is our sales rep tool. It's our B2B uh, site for our, our wholesale customers. I can very much see getting into a space where we are doing continuous delivery there because the business demands it, the market demands it. And, you know, it's, it's just, it's a better model for, for those apps that, you know, are out there and customer facing. Yeah, it, it is exciting to me that we're seeing that this potential, like that direction uh, uh, coming. 
it, it and I I hear what you guys are saying. I can see that your your culture seems to be allowing it too. That you you sound like you've got a great working relationship with within in development, and that QA is a good partner in this too. But you've also talked start talking about your operations guys and better recording and feedback mechanisms. Like that that sounds to me like the ingredients for really rapid uh, deployment models and, and being able to constantly update your software. Yeah, it, it absolutely is. I mean, our our business, you know, Columbia Columbia itself was built on innovation, innovation around product technology. Um, we try to take that in the IS world as well, and you know, we want to be innovative and offer new things to the business, and we need to be responsive and be fast because if if we're not, they're going to go find someone else that can. Um, great example, you know, if you if you go out to the uh, um, you know any of the the mobile phone you know, the app stores, whether it's, um, you know, iTunes or the, um, the Apple App Store or the Windows Store, et cetera, um, you know, you go out there and you look at Columbia and you'll, you'll find a couple of Columbia Sportswear apps. Well, right. unfortunately, those were built outside of the IS department yeah. because at the time, you know, it wasn't a priority. We didn't have um, the bandwidth, the time. There wasn't a big push to do it. So, you know, a guy up in the business with some free time that knew how to do mobile development, his boss said, hey, we should try this. They wrote some apps and they put them out in the store and, you know, they're great apps, but they're not connected to anything on the back end. So, mm. you know, that's that's where, you know, we have to adopt these things, you know, like rapid delivery, like DevOps, um, having the tools and the processes to really continuously deliver because if we don't do it, you know, there's a lot of people out in the marketplace. There's a lot of consulting companies. There's a lot of software companies that can. And, uh, you know, our, our business, we want to move fast and, and be, you know, out there and, and give our customers the right things. So it's either we do it or we die kind of mentality. Yeah. I, I mean, there's one side to say it's software related, but the other part of this is this competitive advantage that if we're able to keep pushing these new features so quickly that you guys get an advantage to your customer. Yes, absolutely. And that's, that's where we're going with this, um, you know, this, this customer portal and, um, sales rep app is, you know, we're, we're developing something that absolutely none of our competitors have, especially when we talk about the integration to SAP. Now, the question is, can you go, you know, the step further on this is that you get to the point of your customers are now pushing back on your design, on what products interest them, what they should look like, like getting all the way into your development pipeline, and I'm meaning clothing development pipeline rather than software development pipeline. Yeah, exactly. You know, we, we get some of that today through social media, um, getting feedback from our wholesale customers, getting better feedback from, you know, our, the actual consumers themselves. Um you know, it's there's there's so much potential out there. Um, it's it's challenging to figure out what to bite off first. Um, and again, at the end of the day, we're an apparel company, so you know, there's a lot more that my team would like to do that we could do. But we also have to balance that with you know, our primary mission is to deliver apparel and footwear. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the question is, you know, at, even the beginning of this conversation, I was still thinking. You guys make clothing. Why are you writing software? Isn't this a known set of problems? <laughs> you know, yeah, and yet yeah. now, as we talk further, it's like, actually, I think you've turned your ID department into a huge asset that makes your product really distinctive. That's well, that's the goal. I think, you know, if you would talk to any CIO or anybody that runs an IT organization, you know, you want to be a value add to the business. Uh, the, the days of IT being a cost center need to be over. Right. Um, 
if you can't provide value, if you can't provide um, payback, if you can't provide competitive advantage, you're really not doing a very good job. I mean, I, you know, not to not to insult anyone out there, but I don't I don't believe businesses today, at least big successful companies, are going to tolerate you know IT just being a necessary evil and a, and a and a cost center. You know, they've got to see value in it. Yeah, I, I see. I want to go further and say, like, you want it to be the thing that comes out of your CEO's mouth first. That they, you know, what makes us distinctive? We're able to do all these amazing things for our customers, and it's because of the technology we're using. Yeah, yeah, I would love to get there. Um, you know, there's there's a little ways to go go to that because again, we, you know, when when you say technology at Columbia, it's really primarily the, at first pass, it's about the product. Um, you know, if you look at our website and, and our our apparel line and our footwear line, we are all about technology, whether it's OmniHeat, whether it's Bug Blocker, whether it's OmniShade. You know, we, we've incorporated technology, you know, a different type of technology into the product. So, you know, for us, when somebody says technology, we first we do first want them to think about our, our apparel products, but then internally, we also want them to think, oh, Let's let's talk to the IT guys. They could maybe help us with this problem. Yeah, it strikes me that this is more of an internal discussion that, that keeping your technological advantage forefront to your executives' minds so that they're pressing you and providing resources to you to give the company a competitive advantage, to be able to move faster. Exactly. You know, I don't think you can sell the consumers of columbia sportswear on the software of columbia sports that's not that important to them but you can sell them on we make the clothing the way you want it when you want it you know those sorts of things make a lot of sense to me i just think we get we as development people have to communicate internally more effectively about our capabilities there absolutely and so the customer does not care about all the software that we build but they do care about for example how the website looks and does it get in their way of placing order and they also care about the cost of the items on the rack. Well, how efficient our supply chain is directly leads to the cost of those items on the rack. If we improve that, we improve the customer experience. Can I get back to uh, the idea of keeping your developers interested? Because that really is a is a quite an interesting idea, and it's a great situation developers find themselves in. That you know that employers uh, recognizing their value want to keep them challenged and keep them busy. Are there other things that you do for them outside of technology that, uh, you know, sort of promotes team building and, uh, uh, and bonding, you know, playing games together and that kind of stuff or, or other perks that oh. they get at the company? So have you, have you been here before? Cause that, that's funny you asked that. Um, Columbia's culture, you know, again, because we're, we're this outdoor kind of active lifestyle company, if you will, um, there, there's a lot outside of technology. So we have a volleyball, a sand volleyball court right outside of the lunchroom. Um, during the summer, the teams, you know, there's volleyball games going on all day long. Um, it's very, very competitive. We actually have leagues that form during the summer. Wow. Um, we have a fun league and a competitive league. Our development teams, we have multiple volleyball teams. Um, they try to steal each other's players. I mean, um, you know, Dave has a team. Scott Hall, my Java manager, has a team, and it. Um, my Avat manager, Chester, has a team, and you know they talk smack all summer long. <laughs> it's it, I've I've shown up for work at six thirty in the morning before in the middle of the summer, and these guys are out playing volleyball. It's six thirty in the morning. I wow. mean, it, it's amazing. You know, throughout the day, you see that going on. Um, 
you know, we have um, during the summer, every Thursday, um, we have what we call partios where um, it's basically food, beer, wine, music out on the, the patio here at work on the nice days. And th- these are company-wide events where, you know, everybody's hanging out and having a good time. And, um, you know, we, we try to make it a good place to work. Um, we try to give them good technology. We try to make it fun. You know, we try to keep it light. Um, you know, th- there's a lot of inter-team rivalry that, that goes on, not so much around technology. It's it's really more about, you know, volleyball and their ski trips that go on during the uh, during the winter. In fact, yesterday there was a couple of busloads of people from Columbia that went up to the mountain and they went snowshoeing for a day. It was a company company sponsored event. Wow. So, you know, that's the kind of things you have to do to to keep you know keep developers interested and, and keep them engaged in your company. We do an annual Java versus Microsoft Team Challenge. Um, <laughs> Awesome. No hold barred, and and the the team lead has to wear a pink hat and a blonde wig like Brett Michaels. <laughs> so we, it's to all meetings and every. It's fantastic. You know that and the fact you can come to work in the summer in a pair of shorts and sandals. You know it's yeah. we're casual work environment. You know developers typically don't want to wear a suit and tie. Um, you know we don't. I don't demand people be here at eight o'clock in the morning and sit there till five o'clock in the afternoon. You know we're about. At least, you know, my team's about getting your job done and, and delivering to our customers internally. Right. So, you know, if you want to come in at 5 o'clock in the morning and knock your stuff out and go enjoy a sunny afternoon, great. You know, if, if you come in at noon and work till 9 o'clock at night, great. You know, there's some there's some core hours you need to be here, but we're really focused on delivery, not, you know, butts and seats, if you will. And, and this is Oregon, so we've had several requests for, you know, really casual Fridays, but <laughs> so far the whole idea of a naked Friday has not really caught on. Ah, that's a shame. <laughs> I, I do find the West Coast, clothing-wise, more laid back in general compared to the East Coast. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I've, I've been out here about 10 years. I moved out from the East Coast, and uh, it's definitely different, but it's fun. Yeah, it's just a it's a different style, and I, I appreciate that that uh, you guys are definitely a lifestyle company too. Yeah, I mean, you know, the stuff you see in our ads, our print ads, you know, our online media. Um, I mean, that's what the people at this company do. I mean, you you walk through here, and people wear Columbia gear. They hike, they ski, they bike. Um, you really don't find people working at Columbia that aren't into the outdoors, which you know I find interesting because. You know, a lot of people just get a job to have a job, but for whatever reason, um, you know, the, clump, the the culture this this company's built over, you know, the years is is really one of people that like the culture, like the lifestyle, like the product, and you know, they live it. I mean, we're we're walking billboards, if you will. Sure. Well, guys, we're just about out of time. Is there anything that uh, we didn't talk about that you want to throw in there? You know, the, the one thing I would like to just kind of put out there um, to your audience, especially, um, you know, if, if you're a developer and, you know, some of these things sound interesting, you know, go go press your manager. Go say, hey, you know, I heard I heard about what these guys at Columbia are doing with, with TFS or with the .NET framework or, you know, Java Eclipse. And, you know, go, go talk to your manager. Go talk to your director. Talk to your CIO. Um, you know, if they don't know where to go, get them, tell them to get on the phone with Microsoft. You know, those, those guys want to help. You just got to ask. Tell um, them to listen to .NET Rocks. Absolutely. absolutely. <laughs> get with it, man. We can't say enough, too, about the Team Foundation service. It's free on the web. If you want to try a pilot with five guys or less, it's absolutely free. Hmm. 
including deployments and builds. Great stuff. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks for having us. All right. We'll see you next time on .NET Rocks. Thanks for listening. And remember, Pluralsight.com is where you can get 200 free minutes of developer training online. Pluralsight.com. .NET Rocks is recorded and produced by Pwop Productions, providing professional audio, audio mastering, video, post-production, and podcasting services. Online at www.pwop.com. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter and offering custom on-site classes in Microsoft development technology with expert developers. Online at www.franklins.net. For more .NET Rocks episodes and to subscribe to the podcast feeds, go to our website at www.dotnetrocks.com. Got a transmitter band by the FCC.